Welcome to the No Math Movies podcast. <laughs> How many times have you heard of movies? All right. It's average. It's just okay. If you ask your friends if you should see it, then they say, Meh. <laughs> a really good I'm David Barris. And he's Darren Cross. And on this show, we'll break down and review these movies. And decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad. And whether or not you should watch them. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. <laughs> you do that really well. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's about as long as I can keep my Shatner impression going. Welcome to the No Meh Movies Podcast, everybody. For those of you who have never seen the show before, for a movie to qualify as meh, it must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter or 4 and 6 on IMDb. And the movie we are doing this week, if you couldn't tell from the title or my Shatner impression in the beginning, is Star Trek The Motion Picture. It is celebrating its 40-year anniversary, if you can believe it. This movie came out in 1979. And what a journey it has been to get here. We've had countless movies, countless iterations of this TV show. This is a gigantic franchise. And it's going to be really fun to dig into the original movie. Now, the TV show started it all. But to dig into the original movie that kicked off the film side of this franchise. Spoiler warning, of course. Spoiler warning. We're going to be talking the whole movie Star Trek, the motion picture, and some other things in the Star Trek world. Now, Darren, for the people that haven't seen it in a while, or have never seen it before, give us a summary. What is Star Trek, the motion picture, about? Sure. Uh, so we kind of dive right in. They, they make the impression, like they do in a lot of movies like this, that you sort of already know the characters, you know what's happening. And we, we kind of come right in with Kirk, and Kirk is not the current captain of the Enterprise at the moment, but we get the impression that he is about to change that and demand to be captain once again. There is a threat heading towards Earth, which can only be described as a giant cloud of some sort, but any ships that get near it seem to get vaporized, electrocuted, sure. That's, yeah, some sort of plasma looking something that happens to them and then they disappear. General Star Trekky threat. Yeah, Star yeah. Trekky threat. And so Kirk takes over the ship and we're on our adventure trying to find out what this thing is and what it wants with Earth. Now Star Trek qualifies as a meh movie because it scores a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes and scores a 6.4 on IMDb. And the question we ask of all our meh movies, were you entertained? I answered yes for this question, that I was entertained. Um, there were some times where the movie did feel like it was going a little slow, but I thought there was enough action, enough drama happening between the characters and between this cloud that they're trying, this mystery they're trying to figure out what's going on, that I was I was entertained. I was engaged the whole time. So entertaining check for me. It may have been because I was watching this movie in the late evenings after winding down from the day, but I'm pretty sure I fell asleep twice <laughs> watching this movie. It took me three nights nice. to get through it. Overall, I'm gonna, I am gonna—I was intrigued, but I don't think I was entertained. All right. Yeah. There, Did you uh, fall asleep during the long pannings? Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm pretty sure the first time I we'll fell asleep was the first time we saw the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, th there's there's a lot here. There's a lot happening in this movie, but man, does it do it slowly. Mm -hmm. And I will dig into some of the reasons why. Uh, there's some pretty interesting research on this and the backstory behind this movie. As far as being entertained goes, I'm going to have to say, no, I was not entertained. But, and it's interesting because it wasn't, by today's standards at least, it's not a long movie. It's two hours and 12 minutes, which I mean, maybe in the late 70s that was pushing kind of like long because I feel like movies have sort of slowly gotten longer and yes, longer. Have, yeah. So yeah, so by today's standards, 212 is really not that long. That's pretty normal. Yeah. Well, back then, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, Darren, the next question we have to ask... 
to find out how this becomes a meh movie and what we think about it is, did the movie do what it was supposed to do? Whether we were entertained or not, did this movie do what it was supposed to do or what it claimed to do? I actually found this question for doing a movie that's was made many, many years ago, I think, and especially a sci-fi movie, this is an interesting question because I think the movie got a lot of flack for not doing what it was supposed to do because it seemed that people expected more action from Star Trek to this point, like just more stuff happening. Yeah. And since that time, and especially in the last 10 years or so, we've seen a lot more like psychological sci-fi movies that are that are are less about action they may have action but they're kind of more about how being in space or being in another dimension affects your reality and that isn't necessarily action and shooting and things like that so for for what it was at the time it came out i would say it probably did not do what it was supposed to do because i think people were expecting something else and they got a movie that was much more tame from an action standpoint through today's perspective i i kind of liked it i thought i liked that it was kind of more like a psychological thing but that's also me coming from not having a huge star trek background like yes i've seen some of the movies yes i'd seen some of the tv shows but i wasn't like going into the movie having an expectation of like oh well this is how star trek is supposed to be yeah, it's it's got a little bit of an uphill battle because uh, I guess one of the reasons that this movie even got made is because of the box office success of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was 1977. The original Star Wars is 1977. Alien is earlier this year in 1979. So really, they were kind of the last studio Paramount was to come out with a space movie. And so, yeah, people did have expectations built up. I think no one could disagree that especially Star Wars and Alien, there's a lot more action. There's a lot more happening in those movies than happens in the original Star Trek movie. Yeah. But if you're basing this off of being a fan of the TV show and that experience and kind of what Star Trek is meant to be, Did this movie do what it was supposed to do? Yeah, I think it did. It's about exploration. It's about discovery, you know, science versus human nature and those big questions. So uh, it's about the relationships of our crew. And definitely that is tackled here in this movie. So, yeah, I mean, as far as like a epic space adventure goes, you know, it might not be at the same level as Star Wars or an alien was, or even Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but as far as what Star Trek is at true to its heart, I think it did do what it was supposed to do. There you go. All right, Darren. Let's take a look at this cast, and I think you all out there probably know this cast better than we do. <laughs> uh, I will say, we should give a caveat, and we probably should have said this up top, that neither of us are giant star trek fans like correct like darren said he's seen a few episodes of the tv show a couple of the movies same thing here i've seen wrath of khan and search for spock and some of the other movies uh some of the newer movies but if this were star wars i you know i got an encyclopedia knowledge of star (laughs) wars and not not as good as some people out there but i got a pretty good knowledge of star wars so we were kind of learning as we went with star trek here so if you're Big, if you're Trekkies, if you're big Star Trek fans out there, take it easy on us. Because <laughs> we're learning as we go. But anyways, this cast, William Shatner as Admiral James T. Kirk. I did fun fact. Uh, in the original show, it was just James T. Kirk. The Tiberius, James Tiberius Kirk was added when they did an animated show in the early 70s. <laughs> I know you were dying to know that. That's, that is a fun fact. Actually. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock, DeForest Kelly as Dr. Bones McCoy, James Dugan as Scotty, George Takai as Sulu, Majel Barrett as Dr. Christine Chapel, Walter Koning as Chekhov, Michelle Nichols as Uhura, and then adding to the cast are two additions that we get that weren't from the TV show added to the movie are Stephen Collins as Commander William Decker and Persis. Kambata as Ilya. Good pronunciation. Ilya? 
or Ilya? I couldn't remember. I think the second one. Ilya. Ilya. So there we go. That is our cast and obviously a few more faces that uh, you serious Star Trek fans probably recognize that we didn't. Darren, who is your top performer from Star Trek The Motion Picture? For a while, it was definitely DeForest Kelly. He kind of has this like interesting like swagger to him, which I noticed. It's like a weird stance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and I kind of dug it. And he kind of like, I don't know, for, for a while, I was like, all right, this guy's cool. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he kind of just brought an interesting perspective to things. He kind of fell out of favor to me, and I think it was partially due to the writing, where he had like too many of these little like one line jokes as the movie went on, and after a while, it kind of got annoying. And I'm just like, this wasn't funny, and <laughs> the timing is very bad, poor right now. Like, I mean, that's clearly why part of the reason his character exists is to kind of be this comic relief. In the end, I actually gave it to Stephen Collins. I was thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Stephen Collins plays William Decker, who at the beginning of the movie is the captain of the Starship Enterprise because Kirk took a few years off or whatever. But Kirk essentially just comes in and demotes him and says, no, I'm captain. But you can stay on the <laughs> ship and do stuff, I guess, if you want. <laughs> so he does stay on the ship. Um, so, yeah, I, I really liked him. He kind of played this underdog kind of role because of getting kind of getting kicked out of his position but still being around he he challenged Kirk about like decisions he was making he has this relationship with Ilya which is interesting and then that kind of comes more into play because she comes back as a probe and he's like well I kind of have feelings for her still but she's not really a human anymore so that's weird so yeah I, I thought he just was consistent throughout the whole movie and uh yeah if I had to pick one it would be would be him all right good call i was i was leaning that way too a little bit i will say that persis kambata as Ilya, she's she's really good she's really good she plays a, a weird role where she kind of has to play two characters yeah and they ask her to do some just be strange to do some strange <laughs> things yeah. uh, she starts off kind of strange because I, she has a, such a thick accent to begin with you're kind of yeah. like what what what'd you say and uh, she had to, I think she was. She I, shaved her head for the role. She shaved her head for the role. Right. I want to say she was a, a model and uh, maybe even Miss World like contestant. Oh, dang. Miss, yeah. Right. But she took out an insurance policy on her hair because she was afraid it wasn't going to grow back or it'd be different when it grew back. Like That's She was awesome. really scared to shave her head for the role. <laughs> she was fantastic, but I got to give my top performer to Leonard Nimoy. I, I, mean, I knew you were going to pick him. As Spock, he is one of the most iconic characters of all time. And every time he's on screen, are you not just so much more fascinated every time he's on screen? And in this, he kind of has his own, I don't even know if you call it a B storyline, but he kind of has his own journey to the A storyline. He's yeah. not on the ship when it starts. Uh, he's on planet Vulcan and uh, trying to attain like pure logic something like that yeah and uh which is something highly regarded in their culture right and uh, fails that test because the his human side he's part vulcan part human his human side just shines through a little too much and then he goes on this kind of his story parallels viger's story who is the villain of the movie where it's like this quest for knowledge and logic versus letting emotion in Viger is we didn't say is that this we find out is the name of this cloud we don't know what it is yes yeah. and uh, so yeah I just every time he's on camera my god it's so engaging every line of dialogue every time he raises an eyebrow you're like ooh Spock's got, Spock's got a good one <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they they kind of made him like indispensable because because of him being part Vulcan he can has like these communication skills right these like he can do a mind meld right right yeah. he has these skills that he uses to talk to uh viger so right yeah, yeah he i mean he takes a lot of agency he goes off on his own he steals a suit and flies deeper into viger than the ships can go and he's just so cool it's just so <laughs> cool the whole movie 
Leonard Nimoy, my top performer. Nice. All right, Darren, it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of this show. It's time to talk about successes and failures. What do you got this week for me? Where does this movie succeed? Where does this movie fail? So I had Leonard McCoy as a failure. Like I said, I, I liked him from the beginning, but then he slowly agitated me more and more and more. And then by the end, I was just like, just stop making these jokes. They're not funny. They're not they're not timely. Like well, they're it's like a very, very serious moment. And the movie's not meant to be a comedy, right? It's not a comedy. There's some funny pieces well, here. Star Trek has always been lighthearted. Yeah, but it's just like they, something very serious happens and then he has like this like really cheap one liner and you're just like nah. That's how they write bones. <laughs> so they've always written bones. My first fail, and it goes back to whether I was entertained or not, is this movie for long stretches is so boring <laughs> there are probably what like 10 minutes of beauty shots yeah of the enterprise as they first approach it uh scotty brings kirk up in a shuttle and they're just admiring they fly underneath it they fly in front of it they fly over top of it <laughs> it just keeps going and you're like oh god and then uh, same thing happens when they get to viger and yeah. they get to the cloud and it's just these long shots of the cloud, of flying slowly through the cloud. Oh my! It's so boring. <laughs> I've, uh, those are probably the two parts where I fell asleep, and I was like, oh, "I'll just pick this up tomorrow." <laughs> I and, so I had that as a, I wasn't sure. I had it as a, as a maybe success, maybe fail. Like I didn't know where to put it. The Enterprise one, I would I would give fail that because that I get you're supposed to like. It's like Kirk seeing it for the first time in a few years, and like yeah, oh, I have no problem with the beauty shots. It's beautiful. Like, I have no problem with doing it. It's yeah. just the length that you did it for. I did like it more with Viger because I think they were trying to show us like scale, right? So they're like, this thing goes on forever because it's so huge. Viger is ridiculously big, right? Yeah. So I liked it a little bit more in that sense, but I I do agree that I could see how you could see it as a fail because. It go it, it is long. It's probably if you add it all up, it's probably like fifteen minutes of the movie at yeah. least. So all right, so I'm gonna get into a little bit of the research and what I found out about the making of this movie because this is this is how we kind of diagnose these meh movies. So like I said, there was an animated show at one point. Yeah. In the early seventies. And they did like twenty two episodes. It's cheap and easy. That's kind of how they just they just rattled off that for an animated show, and then they just showed in reruns on Saturday mornings forever, and kids wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> so they first got the idea to do a film in 1975. Gene Roddenberry, who's the creator of Star Trek, lobbied Paramount Pictures through the success of syndication. They thought maybe a film could work, and he really wanted to do a film. So they start working on it. Then Paramount decides, nah, we're not doing a film. So instead, they decide, we're going to do a reboot of the TV show or a new season of the TV show. So they were going to call it Star Trek Phase 2. So they start working on a TV show and start writing scripts for a TV show called Star Trek Phase 2. After the box office success of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, however, Paramount decides that maybe it will work as a movie. So they <laughs> reboot it as a movie idea and they literally take one of their scripts and work on blowing it out to a feature film. So I think that's one of the original episode was called In Thy Image. So they took that script for that episode and blew it out. So I think that's part of the reason why this feels boring and why this feels slow is because it was meant to be a 50-minute TV show Instead episode. Of two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, they did it to themselves. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the first time that someone's taken a TV script probably and decided to make it a feature-length film. Right. But, you, yeah, you through editing, you easily could have trimmed 15 20 minutes off the runtime of this movie and still had a really solid movie and told your story yeah so that's my fail and that to go along with that just since we haven't mentioned it since we're talking about decision making so this was directed by robert wise who directed a ton of things and some super duper successful movies he directed citizen kane which is a classic i hear it's good (laughs) i've heard it's good he directed the sound of music he directed West Side Story, the the movie. 
And he directed I Want to Live, which I am not familiar with, but apparently won a couple Academy Awards, so it had to be decent of some sort. In any case, so it's not like, you know, it's just some chum. They were like, oh, we, we need a director for this. Like, this guy clearly knows and knew what he was doing. So I don't know. I don't know what that he signed off. I'm like, yeah, these literally long pan shots. This, this is good. I like it. I don't know. Yeah. Hey. It's a sh- it's a shame. I think there was a quote from Shatner that even hit at the premiere he thought it was boring, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, we tried, but I don't think they're going to make many more of these." <laughs> and of course, it goes on to have this huge success, right? As right. a film franchise. Yeah. All right, Darren. What else you got in successes and failures? All right, so I'll go with a success. Is it too early in the episode to give away the twist? Okay. <laughs> Big spoiler warning here. No, it's not. Okay. Spoiler warning. Here comes the twist of the movie. Here comes the ending of the movie. So yeah, you've been warned. So good for them, I guess. I called it a success. I I liked it. I, it caught me off guard. I didn't expect it. So we've come to know this thing as Viger. When they finally get to it, the heart of it, if you want to call it, it's not called Viger. It's V, and then there's a bunch of stuff like oil or dust blocking the name of it and then it's G-E-R and they wipe it away and it's Voyager 6 and so you find out that this is actually a ship that was on its own mission three I think they said 300 years ago around 300 years ago yeah that which places it in the 1970s by the way right right how convenient (laughs) so if this this ship went missing they, they figured it was you know long gone and so it actually developed supposedly some of its own intelligence and started asking questions instead of just doing logical things It started asking interesting questions like a living being would trying to find its quote-unquote maker and so I thought I gave it a success that that was that sort of twist like I said before I I like the direction that you see these days where you see and I'm sure there was some back then that I'm unaware of more like the psychological sci-fi where it's not all relying on action necessarily, you know, not just like laser beams shooting back and forth. So yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. I I thought it worked and it caught me off guard. So that's, I'm a sucker for being caught off guard. I'm like, Oh, you you guys are sneaky. So yeah, I gave that a success. I, I don't think that maybe they're the first ones, but it's kind of become a cliche now where like a piece of alien, technology or a piece of AI will give itself a name based on like a misinterpretation of like or like sometimes like uh they did it in the oh boy I'm giving a spoiler for the new well it's not that new uh Captain Marvel movie but they call her Veers because that was like all that was left of her dog tags Mm. it was Carol Danvers but all that was left was the V-E-R-S they call Mm -hmm. her Veers so it's I feel like now it's become kind of a cliche thing. Maybe back then it wasn't. Yeah. That yeah. Voyager was shortened to V'ger because, you know, of a smudge. Yeah. But yeah, I, it was kind of a cool... Because what else could it be? Like, it couldn't be a being or something like that. Like, there's too much buildup for it to be anything else right. other than a twist like that. Right. And it's, I, can't I had it can't just be some bad guy. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's just some... <laughs> I'm V'ger. I'll get you, Kirk. <laughs> It's like a big blob. <laughs> it's like Jabba the Hutt yeah. for Star Trek. <laughs> I also kind of had a success for the way... I said this a little bit about uh, Spock and about Leonard Nimoy, but the way their stories kind of parallel each other because it is this quest for pure logic and how destructive that quest can be and what do you need to balance that out? What did... And this is, again, spoiler warning because I'm going to spoil the other twist. The way they solve this problem, the way they defuse V'ger, who's going to destroy Earth if his maker doesn't reveal themselves, is they have to mate with it? Or they have to introduce human a human emotion? Yeah, I think he has, okay, let's he, be- has to, he has to feel human, real human emotion in whatever capacity that looks like, I guess. Let's be honest, the solution at the end of the day was someone had to have sex with the robot. <laughs> like <laughs> didn't have to be sex. I mean Maybe it was he just his, wanted to feel love. It was his former lover. So it it 
takes on the shape. V'ger takes on the shape of his former lover, Ilya. Yeah. And Decker basically sacrifices himself because he feels like Ilya's consciousness is trapped in there. We do get hints that her personality, her consciousness is still alive in there. Yeah, she says some things that make it seem like she's still there. Yeah. yeah. She calls everybody else like carbon form or something like that, but she refers to him as Decker. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, he like gives himself to it and merges with V'ger, and then that completes V'ger's mission. Yeah. Or, or it... I think Spock even says it it reached a higher level of being. So it be so I don't think V'ger's gone per se. Yeah. It's unclear kind of what happens. It disappears from our screen. Right. And then it's we gone. get a we get a heroic yeah. shot of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> but yeah. So interesting solution to the problem, but I did like the journey. And I think the journey really you know, V'ger is just kind of symbolism for the message they weren't are trying to tell but the real journey i think is for spock because he goes from leaving he clearly has left starfleet command and he goes back to his home planet he, he doesn't fit in there which is a common thread in a lot of spock storylines yeah. he doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere and what's the what's the word they use in harry potter he's a mug, muggle something yeah he would be a, he would be a muggle in harry potter yeah <laughs> half blood so really it's it's his journey because in the end he realizes that like letting his human emotions out is like a good thing is a healthy thing and he could be the most logical person in starfleet but he can't he he got he has to remember to let that human side out and that his connection to his friends his relationship with his friends are just as important as the logic yeah, they're kind of Spock and Vidra are trying to do the same thing, but from different angles. Where Spock is resisting his human side or doesn't exactly know how to approach it, where Vidra is seeking it out and doesn't know how to get it. Right. That's good. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, well, speaking of that, I'm going to piggyback on that more, and I'm going to throw out another success here. And I mean, this might be a success for the entire Star Trek franchise, but. The relationship between Kirk, Spock, and Bones, it's fantastic. (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. I mean, every time Kirk has to make a decision, the two people, you know, on either side giving him advice are is Spock and Bones. And Bones it's weird because they kind of go back and forth. They're not always in the same lane because Bones is also a doctor and he very much believes in science and medicine. So sometimes Bones is giving him the human perspective, the passion that or the compassionate perspective. And then Spock is pure logic. And other times Spock actually tends to be the more compassionate one. And it's Bones who's stuck in the pure logic side of things. So it's kind of cool that they don't lock them in to those roles for every decision. But then Kirk kind of bounces back and forth between of them. Kirk also kind of brings the brawn and the heroism and the bravery uh, where Bones might be a little timid to do something and Spock can't make a move because logic won't let him. It's up to Kirk to take that bold step and that kind of leap of faith sometimes. So it's just such a great relationship balance between the three of them. And it's played great in the movie. So they were able to recapture that chemistry that they had from the TV show. That's something you worry about when you take this many years off. And they're absolutely able to recapture that in the movie here. That's fair. All right. I dig it. Oh, and then a fail. I thought Scotty was a fail in this. I think they do a better job. And it's not necessarily the accent. The accent in this is a little rough. But I think they do a better job with him in the movies they've made more recently where he comes into play a little bit more throughout the whole movie he kind of is in play in this but once we get about halfway through you really don't see him until almost the very very end so I feel like they do a better job these days in the more recent movies where like something goes wrong and he has to be communicated with or he's somehow more involved in the story you see Kirk sending a message you know with his little watch to saying things to the to, to the engine room or but you don't actually see scotty again until like basically they've i think until the very end when they've won and everybody's just out to celebrate 
I will agree with you that so the new movies that they've made recently, I've they call them the Kelvin timeline. Yeah. So they it's yeah. So they're not remakes of the original movies, but they it was their way of using those original characters right. and casting with young people. Uh, you're right. They do do a better job of making it seem like more of a family, like those characters, whether it's Chekhov or Mr. Sulu or Scotty. They get to be in action scenes sometimes. They get a little more agency in the things that happen in the original show. And big fans of the original show might disagree with me. If you love those characters in the original show, I'm sorry if I'm offending <laughs> you here. But it does feel like in the original show that they're always there. They just they don't really do that much. It's always Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Yeah, doing in a horror, a horror too. Yeah, right, right. I'll actually end on a, on a success. And I think there there was some some acclaim or at least some press they got about this that they had and I think really kind of always had a very diverse cast and this was true in this movie too so there's a black woman there's a bald woman or not always bald but bald in this case she's from India she, oh is she yeah. okay yeah. from India Asian so they you know so it's like a really multicultural multicultural cast which you didn't see like a ton of Justin, I mean, you know, you're the 70s, you're kind of coming off just like, you know, affirmative action and all that stuff in the 60s. It's still kind of not to say that race is not an issue today. Of course, it still is. But I don't think you really saw it as much then as we as we see. So I, I thought that was a, a plus for um for the casting. That might go back to I don't know much about Gene Roddenberry. I'm sure, again, Star Trek fans do. You know, his view of the future was that basically we solve those issues right and yeah starfleet command is a very diverse although i will tell you so i went back and watched some episodes of the tv show and i happened to click on one and the one thing that they hadn't figured out back then was issues with sex yeah and relationships between men and women and like there's i think in the tv show there's like no female captains or something like that <laughs> The, the I so I watched the very last episode that they produced because yeah. I was curious if it led it all into this movie. Like, does Kirk retire? Does right. Spock leave to go to Vulcan? No, it doesn't. It doesn't connect at all. Every single episode of that TV show is a self-contained little fifty-minute adventure. Mm -hmm. But the final episode, this woman like switches bodies with Kirk, and we have like a Freaky Friday episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a lot to do with like how women are treated in Star Command and like. It's it's kind of brutal. Like it would not hold up today <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it it was it was a little bit rough. But so yeah, so that's the one area where Star Trek struggles a little. I'm bit. sure. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Star Wars gets definitely gets a leg up there with Princess Leia because she runs shit. Yeah. Like she is the princess. She is the general Leia. Right. Yeah. All right. You said uh, you had a question. I do have a question for you. So one of the things it it, it comes up in the middle of the movie, but the relationship between Decker and Ilya, it's kind of strained. Like, they both clearly have emotions and feelings for each other, but it's strained. And we find out it's because he left without saying goodbye. He was something about him being reassigned or a ship was leaving. And he he says to her, like, you know, it would have been too, you know, it would have been hard for both of us to say goodbye. So I just, I left without saying goodbye to spare us that pain. And she agrees that, like, yeah, it would have been impossible to say goodbye, but I'm still mad at you that you did it. Mm -hmm. So my question for you, Darren, is leaving without saying goodbye heroic or cowardly? I'm going to go with cowardly. I think if you if you don't have the guts to just put it all out there, then that's that's cowardly. You just got to just just put it out there. At least you both know that like there's nothing else to say. Then you're not left wondering. You know, there's a hopefully at least a, an end that's been decided rather than just. Being like, oh, I wonder what would happen. So that's how I feel. I agree. Yeah. I mean, part of the human experience is pain. Yeah. And you got to be brave enough to face it. Yeah. So uh, all you know, meh, movie listening fans out there, you say goodbye. <laughs> you do it the right way. I say hello. <laughs> all right. Well, that settles that question. That was a pretty easy one to decide. <laughs> all right. All right, Darren, that's enough about what we think. Let's take a second to look at what the Rotten Tomatoes reviewer said and find out 
how this ended up being a 42%. And I'm going to start with the rotten reviews this week. There's some there's some interesting reviews this week. Some weeks they all tend to run together. Yeah. This week we got some interesting points of view. Judith Martin from Washington Post, her rotten review is there are only so many ways to photograph black starry space and the underbellies of spaceships and the film that got there first used them all up. <laughs> so is she saying that Star Wars did enough of that and she didn't want to see more of it? <laughs> I think she might be agreeing with me that those scenes might be a little bit long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Star Trek really is... Again, if you go back and watch the TV show, not a huge budget. Right. Right. So yeah, most yeah. most of it takes place in a contained set of the bridge or a corridor of the ship. And they didn't even have it wasn't Windows. If you notice, it's not a window, it's just a monitor. Right. It's a video a, screen. A video yeah. screen. Yeah. Which as a, a ship captain would make me feel very claustrophobic. <laughs> like if I were a captain of a Starfleet Command ship, I need a front viewport. Yeah. I can't have a monitor. Yeah, I agree. I want to see what's out there. Yeah. I don't want to see it. what something else sees <laughs> is out there. <laughs> but is so, yeah. So when the ship's traveling, we do just get a lot of shots of just black with stars. And that's what's up on the screen for most of the time. And I, I think they definitely were feeling some pressure to do that kind of stuff from seeing like Star Wars and the, the films that prompted them to decide to make this into a movie were... You do get that, maybe not to the same same extent, but there's definitely a ton of that in Star Wars. They just kind of chop it up more so it's not so long. You know, like, you, you get definitely get those underbelly shots where you get a good concept of how large the ships are and things like that, but it's not like five minutes straight of pain. Yeah. I will give them credit a little bit to the physics of space because Star Wars definitely pushes the physics of space well but I mean they treat it like fighter pilots which is fun yeah which we love <laughs> but I, that's not really how objects move in space because there's no resistance so I think Star Trek the way it sl- the ship slowly moves forward like you give it a little propulsion and it it will keep going I yeah. mean that's kind of more true to how space works right right so uh I'll give him credit on that one Cool. But Star Wars is more fun. When it, <laughs> when it comes to ships flying, I'm sorry. I'd rather see the Millennium Falcon being chased by uh, Star Destroyers than the Enterprise slowly <laughs> moving through space. <laughs> All right. Our next Rotten Review. This is from Richard Schickel from Time Magazine. He says, nothing but a long day's journey into ennui. It's like another word for like. It's, the definition is a feeling of listless and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. <laughs> Dang. Is that not a perfect word to sum up <laughs> how I felt about what was happening in this movie? I will say he's being a little harsh on it. <laughs> there is definitely some excitement. The final scene with V'ger is exciting. Yeah. Uh, the Klingon, uh, what happens, Klingons are the first ones to discover V'ger, and it's a little bit exciting. Yeah. Everything in the middle. <laughs> well, that, when that, when it, V'ger or some iteration of V'ger comes in, into the, um, Right. V'ger sends Ilya's body back as a probe. Yeah. Basically being controlled by V'ger. Well, even before that, what's like the, cause there's like Oh, that, there's a beam of light. Yeah. There's yeah. like a big beam of light that like attacks them sort of oh it's trying to it's trying to take the information from their computers it's searching for an answer yeah. for answers um so that was kind of exciting and that i'm pretty sure that woke me up <laughs> <laughs> so bright <sighs> <sighs> well yeah so there there is excitement it might, that might yeah. be a, as much as fun as that word is that might be a little <laughs> dramatic mr shickle all right let's take a look at some of the fresh reviews so the Variety staff from Variety.com said the expensive effects under supervision of Douglas Trumbull are the secret of this film, and the amazing wizardry throughout would appear to justify the whopping budget. Now, for the time, this did have a pretty big budget, and I'm pretty sure they went over budget. Yeah. 
Oh, so the budget was projected at fifteen million. I think they went like way over. Oh, forty-six million. Okay. So they ended up, yeah, they ended up getting to forty-six million, starting with a projected budget of fifteen million. So, yeah, <laughs> it's they, only three times as much. It's they fine. put a lot into it. It made one hundred and thirty-nine million at the box office. So it's commercially a success. Yeah. So yeah, but I I I do have to agree that I mean, Star Trek always did a lot with a little when it came to effects, like. It's amazing, obviously, what computers can do today, right? Fantastic, the movies we get today. But I think it's cooler what they did back then. To be more creative. Like, they had to be super creative in camera. And, like, I, I think I read the get the effect of beaming. They, like, took a slow motion camera, turn it upside down, and then, like, released, like, some kind of, um, like, metallic shaving kind of things down it. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Across the lens, like th- that's like insane to think about. <laughs> and now you'd be like, "Oh, beaming effect, click <laughs> right. apply." Yeah, yeah. Like I have, a, I have a shortcut for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Apple B for beaming. <laughs> that, so, that did remind me too. I I, w- I meant to give a little credit or some credit to when they go in the wormhole. That was cool effect. I don't know who knows how they did it. But that was very cool because everything goes into like super slow motion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was that was pretty sweet. Yeah. All right, so that's a that's a pretty good review there from Variety. And with that, Darren, I think it's I think it's time to move on. All right, and let's move to our next segment now. Our next segment is where we normally pitch a sequel. There is <laughs> countless episodes of TV, animated version. <laughs> uh, five movies that come after this a Kelvin timeline <laughs> I'm gonna just call it this week and say we're covered on sequels <laughs> you don't need me and Darren pitching I have one idea <laughs> All right. it's not a sequel though alright hit me it's real, uh, it's real fast a remake but an impossible remake because I want them to remake it back then directed by Ridley Scott and make this like a full-on like noir sci-fi film because it kind of because of the way it ends it sort of has that you know that existential feel to it and because there's so little action it's like ripe for like being not that noirs don't have action but they usually are much more you know slow moving right there's a build right 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 if we could get travel back to 1978 or whenever they started making it and convince Ridley Scott to come direct this movie as a as a as a noir sci-fi film. That's what I want. All right. There we go. There you go. I if anything and they may in some versions somewhere out there Star Trek have an answer for this, but I would love to know what happens to Viger. Yeah. I would love an answer to that. Where it went, what it's doing now. Some answer to Viger. Living its best life. Yeah. <laughs> Or are Decker and Ilya like, do they now have the knowledge of Viger and they're just off somewhere being in love and super knowledgeable? Cruising through space. Did Decker learn his lesson? If he's going to the grocery store, does he say goodbye? Or does he just he just hear the car backing out of the driveway? <laughs> it would be too hard to say goodbye when I go to the grocery store. <laughs> All right, Darren, it is time to move into quick picks. It's time for our nitpicks of the movie. It's time to pick out those last little things that we liked about the movie. What do you got for me this week in quick picks? My first one I have was how terrible Kirk's like motivational speech was before they like leave for the <laughs> So they, they he starts to say a few things and then they pull something up on the screen and it's we assume another ship in the Spa- fleet. the space station the first discovery yeah the cloud, in, yeah, yeah yeah in the fleet and they're on video chat talking like what uh what are you seeing you know what's happening what's going on and they get vaporized and then like kirk doesn't really say anything he kind of just like well we, we leave in 40 minutes <laughs> just walks <laughs> away <laughs> and every everybody in the ship's like oh okay <laughs> Well, that's because... Really rallying the troops. That's because, Darren, fun fact, fun fact, those were not trained actors. 
those were extras that are mostly consist of super fans of the TV show that they invited to be extras in that scene. That's fun. And it's the first time they filmed that scene for a specific reason. It's the first time you see the entire crew of the Enterprise in one room together so that you get a scope and idea of how many people it takes to make the ship run. Nice. And somewhere I even read that they uh, most of the extras didn't even cash their checks. Like they found that most of the checks went, checks went uncashed. They just framed them. They yeah. just framed them, yeah. <laughs> they were so excited to be there. That's a cool fact. Still a terrible pep talk. <laughs> My first nitpick uh, in such a nondescript opening credits. Yeah. Like, I will say that the Jerry Goldsmith score and the main theme that he created for the film franchise, incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. But the TV show had an iconic opening. And, like, even if you wanted to add the, like, change the music... You know, Kirk's voiceover at the beginning and the shots of the Enterprise flying by. Like, why not bring that back? Everybody would know it. It's so iconic. Like, you want to hear, when you see Star Trek start up, you want to hear that voiceover. Yeah. That voiceover. It's kind of like your brand, yeah. sort of a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Like, lean into your brand a little bit, even if you don't give us the full thing. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Next one I had was I couldn't help. For some of the visualizations of space or some of the time warp stuff for when they first get into V'ger and there's real weird visualizations visualizations happening. I couldn't get out of my mind back in like the early 2000s or late 90s when you're you're listening to music on Windows Media Player and they have the visualization options. (laughs) (laughs) It's things flying at you to the music or whatever. That's all I can think of. Oh boy. If you're younger than... (laughs) 30? Would you even know what that is? Maybe not. In case anyone's listening who didn't know what that was, there was a large selection, 50 maybe, of these quote-unquote visualizations that you could choose on Windows Media Player, which was a device, a program on your computer used to play music. And it would... Before iTunes. Before iTunes, yeah. And it would often somehow move with the beat of the music, and it would be just like weird... I'm sure you could look this up on YouTube oh, yeah. or, sure or like, GIFs yeah. of them and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Google Windows Media Player visualizations. <laughs> All right. This is a nitpick of, uh, it's going to be a nitpick of probably Star Trek in general, but it, I, I get it. I get that they want to show us things that they're not really sure how to show us. But where are those external cameras that are watching the Klingons get attacked? <laughs> like, it's one thing for us to see it. But the space station, the Starfleet space station, is watching the Klingons get attacked from outside their ship. <laughs> and, like, Kirk is watching back footage yeah. from outside the ship. Maybe there's a camera right in the windshield of the, Kling- of the Klingon ship that's, for whatever reason, communicating with the Enterprise. Is this like in the new car models where it'll like parallel park for you and there's like cameras on all sides yep. and like a satellite camera or something? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Convenient camera placing. The camera can exist anywhere for us, Not but if it's going right. to appear on a screen, yeah. you got to have a reason for it. Yeah. That's a good point. Good point. I like that probe Ilya was wearing high heels. <laughs> of course she was got to be fashionable probe or no probe i told you the final solution was to have sex with the robot (laughs) and oh yeah she looked good it has to seduce them she she was looking good but i mean it literally seduces decker if you come back as a probe are you in heels (laughs) comfortable flats (laughs) or barefoot i don't know it just seems probably barefoot barefoot would have made sense yeah (laughs) so speaking of sexuality this takes place during the 70s and they changed the uniforms for this movie from the classic uniforms from the TV show, which everyone loved. And it's a mistake. People have complained about the uniforms. The cast wasn't happy with the uniforms. Uh, I guess they were hard to get in and out of. So they redesigned them for Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and they seem to be more in, more in the style of the classic military uniforms we saw in the TV show. But the one thing we get in this movie, because... Half the crew is wearing pants and tunics. The other half is wearing onesies. 
potato, potato sacks. And everybody in the onesies, they're super tight. They're like skin tight onesies. There are so many man bulges <laughs> in this movie. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see him. Oh my god! Basically, every crew member in a onesie, his package <laughs> is on full display. Camel toe, full ca- or not I camel mean, toe. Man, what do you call it? Moose knuckle. Moose knuckle. That's what I call oh, it. There you go. Yeah, so people could talk about how sexualized the women are in the outfits they have to wear, the mini skirts and stuff like that. But yeah, the men, there are no secrets from the men on that show. Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. My next one was this. This relates to the visualization stuff. Can you imagine watching this movie high? <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that are like, "Yeah, it's so much better. It's great. You would not be bored." <laughs> I was thinking about that a lot when the visualizations are happening. I was like, there's a, a lot of imagery happening here. Anything else? Can I keep going on sexuality? Yeah, go for it. So, Ilya has a line when she shows up on the ship for the first time. Where she says that she's taken her oath of celibacy and then just walks to her station <laughs> and nobody reacts. Nobody. We don't even get a raised eyebrow from Kirk, you know? He's yeah. just like, just goes on with this conversation with Decker. I'm like... No, who's gonna just call, like clearly Kirk's known for you know getting around the galaxy, and she drops a line like that and give me at least a raised eyebrow or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. It's ba- it's basically just like she's like, I know every male in here is gonna want to sleep with me, so don't worry. <laughs> I've taken <laughs> I've taken oath of celibacy. celibacy, even though she already had a relationship with Decker. Yeah, what the know. heck? I totally caught that though. I was like. It's a weird line. <laughs> Last one I have is, so I know that they reference that there is a pocket of oxygen that's created when they get off the, sh- when they finally are going to see Vidra up close and there's like sort of this pathway of some sort that they get there and, and it's mentioned before they go out of the ship that there's, oh, there's a pocket of oxygen so we'll be able to breathe or whatever. If you're going to go into, maybe, and maybe this is, a Star Trek thing, and I'm mis- I'm just not familiar enough. If you're going to go outside of s- into space, aren't you going to s- still wear a suit, oxygen or no oxygen? Isn't there like radiation or cold? Isn't something happening here? Yeah, it's it's a it's actually very interesting how much in any of these sci-fi franchises get developed because of constraints in technology or budget, right? Yeah. So one thing I read is that in the animated show. I don't know how I stumbled upon this. In the animated show, they have these things called life belts. So you wear a belt and it like provides you with all the essentials you would need in uh, like space. Regulates Oxygen, your temperature. Yeah, regulates your temperature, protects you okay. from radiation. But the reason they did in the animated show was because it was too expensive to draw something around the characters. Like a force field or a, or a new suit around the characters. It was really cheap to just draw a belt. And call it a life belt. Yeah. But now that's canon. You know, that's Star Trek canon. You can wear a life belt and just go outside. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. It's amazing how the constraints sometimes create the most creative solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a few more here. There's a there's a shot where Bones tries to grab Ilya's arm once she's the probe, once she's V'ger's vessel, and take her to sickbay. Yeah. It is just the lamest attempt ever at trying to, like, pull someone along. Like, he doesn't even, like, close his hand. He, like, <laughs> puts it on the back of her arm and then just slides away. Star Trek does that a lot where it's, like, they set up their shot and they're, like, the two actors are standing there, like, okay, we rolling? Okay, we're rolling. Okay, now hit him. And then they hit him. <laughs> and they go, okay, cut. All right, we got it. We don't need any <laughs> other shots of that. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so you have these punches that just like, there's like this empty space and then the punch <laughs> happens. And then, so this was the same kind of thing. It was like, <sighs> yeah, it felt, yeah. it felt a little bit, a little bit like a, like a comedy routine. Yeah. Like <laughs> Something that could easily be solved with an, another camera angle and yeah. one, one cut. Yeah. But I will give the cinematographers credit because I think it's a pretty iconic shot, but the way they're stationed on the bridge, you get this awesome shot and it's sulu in his pilot's chair in the foreground to the right kirk in his captain's chair in the background to the left and spock at his science station 
centered in the far background. And it's this awesome shot of the three of them lined up. And they use it again in sort of a different sequence, I think with Decker, Kirk, and Spock. Mm -hmm. And it's such a cool shot. It's it's just such good framing. Yeah. And you just you get the reaction of all three characters at the same time to whatever was happening on the screen or happening with Vijir. And it's really cool cinematography. It's fun when you can catch stuff like that. Yeah. This is my last quick pick, and it comes with a question. How many people on the crew of the Enterprise do you think Spock has Vulcan nerve pinched? So many. <laughs> Throughout the course of the show and movie franchise. <laughs> He does it to crew members all the time. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to mess around. He, he's going to get what he wants. In the two episodes of the TV show I watched, he was doing it to people. <laughs> Do you think they have a support group? <laughs> Do you think they meet regularly? And they were like, I was at my station uh, doing my normal reports, and he came up behind me <laughs> and pinched me, and I passed out for eight hours. <laughs> My my neck's never been the same. I'm in, I'm, I'm in constant pain. Oh, now you made it sad. <laughs> <laughs> they have to have some kind of support group. Yeah. <laughs> like, just. It is it is funny that it, it, it's funny that like the writing from the beginning made the decision that he was that's how he was gonna like be sneaky, where he was just gonna sabotage. Semi semi sabotage his own crew members and just be like, <laughs> boop, boop. Never apologizes. <laughs> he does lay them down gently. He does. I'll give him credit yeah, there. He doesn't just let him drop. No. It's just the reality that you have to accept. It's like part of the application when you're like, I want to join the Enterprise. Are you okay with occasionally <laughs> being knocked out without your awareness? <laughs> uh yeah okay, okay. <laughs> i feel like it's something that fits in better with the tv show archer where like some side character just keeps waking up like god damn it not again <laughs> like their pants are missing yeah, and like, like weird, weird situations <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right that does it for my quick picks darren you got anything else for me so my last one was and this is i guess it falls in here because it, it's not big enough to fall as, as a success I thought this kind of summed up some of the of the theme of the movie, or at least one of the themes. It's a quote from Viger, or it's a quote about Viger, I should say. And it says, it knows that it needs, but it does not know what. Hmm. So I was like, oh, that kind of sums it up pretty pretty nicely. That it it knows there's there's something out there that it doesn't understand. And it needs to find it, but it doesn't know what it is. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty applicable to the human condition sometimes. Yeah, right? There we go. That is our quick picks for this week. All right, Darren. We reached that time in the show for our new segment that we've added where uh, we learned something. (laughs) I got a lesson for this week. So in this movie, V'ger turns out to be what they call Voyager 6, a probe sent out by NASA or a ship sent out by NASA to explore space and report back to Earth. And it's been out there for 300 years. Now, the Voyager program is absolutely a real program from NASA. However, there is no Voyager 6. There's been a Voyager 1 and a Voyager 2. These things are launched in 1977, so it's, I mean, it's fair to say that the writers of the movie thought maybe they'd get to a Voyager 6 at some point, mm-hmm. but now they they launched the two Voyagers, and they're still operational. They're That's still sweet. out there sending data back. Voyager 1 is now almost 13 billion miles from Earth, oh my God. traveling through interstellar space northward out of the plane of the planets. So if you consider the solar system the way we orbit around the sun, north, up. And then uh, Voyager 2 is now almost 11 billion miles from Earth and travels on a southward plane based on our solar system and is expected to enter interstellar space in the next few years. These things are still out there and still being manned, sending all sorts of information and data back. It's crazy. It's insane. These things are real. Not images, though, right? Is it, are they sending images? I, 
I know they're sending a ton of data. I believe they might be transmitting some images too. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So one day, space is the coolest. It's oh, it's insanely cool. They figured out that there's like a bubble, like a hydrogen bubble, kind of keeping our or surrounding our solar system. Solar system, yeah. Our planets, you know, and our sun. That's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah. So that's your lesson this week. Thanks, Davey. No problem. Ready for some trivia? Yeah. The Klingon language, we all know through pop culture and things like that, is a full language. It's a real language now. The sounds were actually invented by actor James Duhon, Scotty. Scotty invented the first sounds of the Klingon language. He thought that the Klingon captain in the beginning should have some words to say. And then uh, I don't know what they used on the original TV show because I know the Klingons were on the original TV show. And then a linguist, Mark Okrand, later devised grammar and syntax rules for the language, along with more vocabulary. I guess for Star Trek Three, the search for Spock and wrote a Klingon dictionary. That's crazy. So this actor decides to, you know, create these sounds, and then this guy turns it into a whole language. Yeah. He's got a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of time. The study of languages is insane. Yeah, that's insane in its own right. Yeah. yeah. This is fun for any fans of the original TV show. Uhura's communication earpiece is the only original prop from the Star Trek original series. Mm. Uh, They dug it out of storage when they realized someone had forgot to make new ones for the movie. (laughs) Sounds plausible. It's a very small prop, just the earpiece she wears. This is fun. Star Trek, the motion picture, has had quite an impact on the lives of children because... Go on. It was the very first Happy Meal tie-in ever. From McDonald's. It was the first. Uh, McDonald's had slowly been developing a children's option. And the first time they ever marketed it along with a movie was for Star Trek the Motion Picture. Did you get a little Kirk toys? Or was the packaging like- used for the Star Trek meal consisted of various images and games related to the film, as well as a comic strip adapta- adaptation of the film. Cool. Oh, and consumers had to buy numerous meals in order to complete the set. Uh, Even back then, they were doing it to us. <laughs> Corporate marketing. <laughs> I got one. All right, hit me. What do you got for your trivia? Stephen Collins, who played uh, Willard Decker, completely unfamiliar with Star Trek when he was cast. No idea what it was. Never seen an episode. <laughs> <laughs> which, which maybe at that time was not as unbelievable as it is now <laughs> but can you imagine it was like uh, his agent like calls calling back uh he'll do it what's star trek <laughs> <laughs> is it about hiking yeah what's I mean, <laughs> is it famous people hiking yeah <laughs> that does it for trivia we reached the point in the show where we have to decide we have to make a decision and take a stance what do we think is star trek the motion picture a good movie or a bad movie? What do you got? I decided that Star Trek The Motion Picture is a good movie. I I enjoyed it. I do agree that there were the, the, the long panning could have done with less panning. Again, maybe if you are more familiar with the show in general than I was maybe there was like less action than you were used to but I I went in pretty much like didn't know what to expect so um so yeah so I I I liked it I liked that it had this sort of slow moving story and 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 this interesting twist at the end could have done with more action sure maybe subtract panning by 15 minutes add action by 15 minutes maybe that would that would helped in the end, I thought this was a good movie. I actually liked it more than I thought I was going to. I thought it was going to be cheesier than it ended up being. So I don't have a problem with the cheese okay. factor of old Star Trek. Yeah. This was a bad movie for me. <laughs> you just were bored? <laughs> just, yeah, this is a bad movie. And I, I felt like as the movie was going, I could feel feel that it I was like I said to myself this is probably a TV show script like it was probably an episode script cuz that's what it felt like it felt like you know that contained story that the TV show used to tell 
And if it had been, if it had been a 50-minute episode, then it would have been a cool mystery. And V'ger would have been interesting. In fact, coincidentally, the episode I went back to in season two to watch was almost an identical kind of story where there's just a blob out in space and they don't know what it is and it's sucking. <laughs> this one fed on their energy. So the energy on the ship and their personal energy, their human energy. So they Ooh. all felt tired and uh, getting sleepy and had to keep taking stimulants to stay awake. <laughs> and it was basically like it was space mono. They all got space mono from it. This like amoeba in space. Hmm. So it was a very similar thing where they like didn't know what was in front of them. And Voyager 5 was inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> if this had been an episode, I probably would have just said, yeah, okay, fine episode. But as far as a, a motion picture goes, no, it's a bad movie. And I've seen Wrath of Khan before. I'm pretty sure I just jumped in and wanted to know what this whole Wrath of Khan thing was all about. Because that might be one of the coolest names for a movie ever or subtitles <laughs> for a movie ever. And I'm telling you right now, you can completely skip this movie and just jump in on Wrath of Khan and be off in the adventure. You all know who Kirk and Spock and Bones and Ahura and Sulu are. You could just jump in on Wrath of Khan. You're not missing anything here. I will probably never go back and revisit this. <laughs> I do kind of want to watch Rathacon now because I haven't seen it. Definitely should go see Rathacon. It will not be on the No <laughs> Movies podcast. <laughs> Maybe in a bonus episode. Maybe Darren can do it for a bonus episode for between seasons two and three. There you go. All right. That's second disagreement in a row. Yeah. Two this episodes is a in a row. contentious season. <laughs> You're going down, Cross. <laughs> That does it for this week's show. Coming up next week, it's thin, but we got a movie for you. So there are not many major releases coming out. There is a movie called Aeronauts starring Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne, and it's about them taking a hot air balloon expedition. In like the early 1900s, right? 1862. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, of course, made us think, well, we got to do a hot air balloon movie. And there's so many to choose from. Yeah, it's a whole genre. <laughs> so next week, we are going to be doing 2013's Oz, the Great and Powerful. Technically, I guess it would be a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Which scores a 58% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.3 on IMDb, making it a meh movie. So next week, follow us along the yellow brick road. Click your heels together. <laughs> Fly in a hot air balloon. <laughs> All the way to the land of Oz, the merry old land of Oz, and uh, check out this prequel that they did, Oz the Great and Powerful. So that's coming up next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you are listening on. You can follow us on Twitter at No Meh Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Thanks for supporting the show, everyone. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance and tell them if the movie is good or bad because on this show, there are no meh movies. talking about V'ger, it knows what it needs, but it does not know what. No, excuse me. I said it wrong. Cut. <laughs> Chop. <laughs>